pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. And welcome to Declarations of War. I'm your host, Alexei Avkar, joined by my co-host, Andy Astronaut. How's it going? And Artemis Albosa. Howdy, howdy. We have a packed show for you, but before we get into it, last episode, we threw a challenge out to the audience. Leave a cool comment on the episode highlight on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash Alexei of K. And the winner is Acer Card, who says, as an honorable third party for this engagement, I request one skin as SRP for my favorite Kitsune. It died an extremely sad death and served as the catalyst for my young corporation's demise. And sure enough, his corp did disband after that fight. Of course, he joined Burn Eden. Well, that's fine. <laughs> it was it was by far the lulziest comment and also directly related to the highlight. Clear winner for me. Congratulations, Asar, the proud new owner of the Mauler partner skin. If you would like to leave your own comment, go to youtube.com slash C slash AlexaFK after you hear this episode, and you will find an episode highlight showing off a little clip of this episode to the YouTube audience. Leave your coolest, funniest comment, and we will read the winner on the next episode. We asked a poll. You're an alliance leader. Is relocating from Geminit to Pure Blind worth it? 60% say no. And I am inclined to agree with them. Mm. What is I that? Mean, mm. It's it's NPC space. I mean, not NPC, but it has NPC stations, just like Geminit does. It's in the north, just like Geminit. Same rats, same rough quality of space. Right. If if, if there were no external forces, then I would agree. But it was made very clear that Brave was living in Geminate under the context of crashing on Hor's couch. It was not possible for them to permanently live there and remain and like basically not say, hey, Horde, you know, you guys did it a solid by giving us a space. We're just not going to leave. This is ours now. Come fight us for it. Like that was the alternative. It wasn't they have a permanent home in Geminate and they're giving it up. It was they were crashing on someone's couch that person had said, hey, please move. You're stinking up the place. And they needed to move. Now, that's an exaggeration. They weren't, like, asked to move. They they moved in with the understanding they weren't staying. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. A couple, like, couple that's days you... turned into a couple weeks. Job wasn't looking, or uh, Brave wasn't going out looking for jobs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, I, it makes sense in that context, right? I think, like, the, the moving specifically from one space to another space, the space isn't better, but... It's like a, a horizontal move that's because you were basically, you know, temporarily in your, your current location anyways. Like, that was the understanding. So I think it's just them being good friends to the people who kind of reached out and gave them support temporarily. Well, let's talk about how that move's going. My understanding is it's going quite slowly. I think that is the best description that we have for it, is slowly. Um, the move was announced, like, uh, a week went by, a Fortizar went down in 5ZX, and that was about it. If you, if you check the Z-Kill pages, like, for the last three weeks or so, Brave is up there in terms of, like, they're the top alliance in Pure Blind in terms of PvP activity last seven days, but they're also a massive alliance, so that's to be expected. 
It just shows you that they are moving into the space. Citadels aren't dying. Um, Citadels are being placed, and like two systems a week are flipping. So right now, Brave seems to be focusing on the Flying Dangerous pocket. So as you enter Pure Blind from Low Sec in the in the south, or excuse me, from the High Sec entrance in the south, hook a right straight into the Flying Dangerous pocket. That's where Brave is focusing on. They've started anchoring citadels there, like they've got Fortizars up and such. Um, uh, effectively, like on the 7th slash 8th, they reinforced the whole pocket. And then when the timers came out, they had a good old fight with a bunch of the residents of Pure Blind and took it. Then a week later, they reinforced the whole pocket again, took two more systems, and that's where we are now. Nothing is currently reinforced, uh, but Brave is basically reinforcing or adding to the infrastructure they have in their conquered systems before striking out again. So depending on the side that you're in, either this is being spun as Brave is taking this slowly and methodically and the plan is working as intended, or Brave is a paper tiger and they are unable to punch at the weight you would expect from them. Are they even a tiger, though? Like, I, I don't know where all these expectations for Brave are being layered onto them. They it's were relative, like their size relative to the size of the groups they're trying to kick out. Okay, but Brave has also got to be exhausted from the conflict they've just been in. They weren't even the most dominant PvP force in the coalition that, that they were in that just disbanded. You know, they're going to have to find their footing. I'm sure they're not going to have their optimum form-ups in terms of participation just because of how tired they are. And the morale can't be great with all the moving and the losing. So they're probably going to need a little bit of time to recover. It's it like for an alliance, it ha- really hasn't been that long ago since they had some pretty severe setbacks. Yeah. So I would I would encourage everybody, including people in Brave, to have some patience with them because it's not like you know. I think the expectations are way higher for Test than for Brave, and Test is still on the couch. So if anything, Brave's ahead of the curve. But how much can you really expect of them? Like they're not out there to be a powerhouse alliance. Um, just for some context, who exactly are kind of the current residents of Pure Blind? Because my understanding is that it's a bunch of kind of smaller groups that are all like, you know, smaller compared to Brave, but still fairly competent in their PvP capabilities. But I don't actually know all the groups that are in Pure Blind right now that they're essentially trying to force out. I oh, got Volta, Toilet Paper, Bander Logs. Uh, of the two, Volta and TP are strong. Um, there are a few other smaller alliances dotted in there, but those are the big guys. And they have yeah. Try right next door. Vanderlogs being like the, the biggest opposition that Brave is going to face in Pure Blind. Toilet Paper coming in at a close second. You've also got Flying Dangerous, Quote, and um, Out of the Blue, who are all like of a, a similar size and capability from my third party perspective, who like hasn't looked into it too much. Um, basically like the, if you were trying to go in and take the space though they're pvpers effectively they are pvp groups they will fight for their space they'll make it difficult for you to take it but they're also um large enough that it's not going to be a, a pushover like it's it's going to be a fight for brave to take anything here and um one thing worth noting i can't believe i forgot to put it in the show notes is the drama going around with Volta and their coalition. So Volta has sort of like a pseudo coalition going on. Uh, it's called the GTC, the Greater Trash Coalition. And I think a few of the members of Pure Blind are um, 
or a few of the residents of Pure Blind are members of it or had dealings with them in the past. And what has happened is that one of the groups of this GTC, who has like a ridiculous alliance name that I can never remember, it's like Honor Alliance. Oh, RHP. Yeah, Respect, Honor, and Passion Alliance. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So they struck a deal with Banderlogs to to tempt blue Banderlogs in order to get in on the conflict. So they said, hey, there's there's some fights going down in Pure Blind. We want to get in on the action. We know Banderlogs. Let's team up with them and fight Brave. Problem is, Volta and Brave have a public relationship where Volta isn't helping Brave, but Volta has a vested interest in Brave taking the space. So they would prefer to see Brave win, so to speak. And so they're basically staying out of things. They're continuing to attack Banderlogs because Volta and GTC have been perennial enemies of Banderlogs and Pureblind. So they'll just like, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, so to speak. Uh, and so when RPH does this, uh, Volta sees it toilet paper as well. And they attack the RPH fleet that's working with Banderlogs against Brave while they're still blue. And they do this twice, actually. They kill a fleet, it reships, they killed again. And to RPH, they feel like, whoa, this is a betrayal. Like, we were just getting in on some conflict content, and instead of reaching out, communicating, having Diplo sort this out, you just kill us. So then they turn around, and when, again, everybody's still blue to each other, when Volta is attacking some Banderlogs infrastructure, RPH or RHP, I always forget... They go in and entosis some of Volta's iHubs up in Declan, I believe. And so Volta sees that and they're like, whoa, guys, listen, we were just trying to send a message with the killing the fleets thing. Uh, and that message was keep your nose out of this thing because our coalition stance on it is pretty clear. Um, but now you've got an entosis Sarsav while we were out on another op. Like this is very clearly a betrayal of the coalition. And then they kicked him. So both sides at the moment seem to be intent that the other side was the one that betrayed them. And there was just a clear misunderstanding, which was escalated out of control. But both are too betrayed and too um, caught up in the mix to like sort it out. Um, I'll have to check real quick on in Declan, which is where these groups mainly live, to see what's happened to their solve. More of the story, don't have blues and you'll never have issues. Yeah, it can't can't be betrayed if you never make allies. Yeah, it looks like RHP still has a lot of their TCUs. Let me check the yeah, but half their iHubs have gone over to Volta now, and a bunch of stuff is reinforced. So they they were expected to not be able to stand up against Volta. the The characterization that's common for them is that they are um, like they have a fighting spirit, but they're mainly industrialists. And so they've been known to be renters in the past, so to speak, and they just sort of align themselves with whoever the new big power is in Declan so they can stay there, which is a, a fairly common thing for alliances and organizations in EVE. And so it just seems like this time, due to various circumstances, depending on who you believe, they have proceeded to ruin the relationship with um, the power, the local power in Declan. Well, I'm sure they'll relocate to somebody else's running space without any trouble. It does kind of pose an interesting kind of dilemma, too, for Volta, right? Because, you know, if they want to kind of make a point that you don't double-cross them 
or don't get involved in kind of these politics outside your space if you're blue with them, then now they have to kind of choose whether they focus their effort on kind of teaching RHP a lesson or if they kind of keep their focus on bander logs and kind of helping brave establish a foothold there. Because I think, you know, you can do both to some extent, but like we've seen with a lot of conflicts, it's pretty hard to do that when you have two fronts. Yeah, as as I understand it, and this is informed speculation, let's put it that way, Volta made a strategic decision when they decided to say, hey, Brave, we want you to live in that space, but we're not going to blue you. We're not going to come in and help you take the space. We're just not going to stop you. And what that enabled them to do is continue to fight bander logs, which they do for fun anyway, because they like content. Um, and maybe there's like some grudges and they've been fighting them for a while, whatever. But it also means that they aren't um, required to provide support. So if they need to change focus and fight RHP, they can. If they need to, or if they feel like, hey, fighting bander logs is boring, we're just going to disappear into Podgefan or Thera for a little bit, they can. If they want to spin up the, the war drums and actually go into Pureblind and help, they can. They have created for themselves a very flexible diplomatic and strategic situation where they can do whatever they want. And what I would bet is going to happen is they're just going to do a little bit of both. They're going to keep fighting Banderlogs because that's fun for their members. They're going to steamroll over RHP because that's fun for their members, but they're not going to do either of them to the extent where they're going to burn people out or they put themselves in a strategic disadvantage. And when we say fronts, I think it's important to keep in mind these regions are very closely linked geographically, and there's plenty of established jump bridge networks up there. They're not really going to have any trouble getting back and forth. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and I think you make a good point, too, that especially with Brave pushing there, there's not like a lot of concern that Bander Logs will kind of push on Volta space at all, right? I think they'll be pretty embroiled in fighting brave and taking back systems that brave is able to establish yeah and especially when you consider brave is on friendly terms with um fraternity which sort of puts them in a weird spot because fraternity and volta and their gtc are not on good terms there was a incident back in like june july where a previous resident of pureblind tried to join the gtc the greater trash coalition and then Volta came in and instantly started like reinforcing everything with massive numbers and said, listen, we don't hate you guys. We hate them and you're joining them. So if you join them, you're going to lose your space. <laughs> and as a result, the group had to had to pull out of GTC. It was on good terms, like it was understood. Everybody was still friendly afterwards, but it was that sort of thing. So Bander Logs is a staunchly independent. Volta and GTC are walking a fine line, but also a very successful one by the relationship they're forming with Brave in the context of the fraternity and horde relationships that Brave currently has. And then you've got toilet paper, quote, flying dangerous and such, who are also relatively independent. Um, I think toilet paper is pretty closely aligned with Volta and the GTC, but I'm not 100% certain on the specifics there. I believe they are, yes. Well, it's definitely it's an interesting situation to keep an eye on. I think we'll really see how this shakes out once Brave starts to get established in the area, which 
even if they're doing it slowly, I have every confidence they will be able to do. It might take them a little bit, but they'll definitely get there. Uh, let's move down to the south, where we have more fighting going on between Dreadbomb and sort of Wrecking Coalition loosely versus Fireco. Uh, they've we've covered this on the podcast a little bit. Um, fighting has kind of intensified gradually, and now we're seeing bigger and bigger fights from these guys, including now some structure deaths, notably staging Fortazar that uh, RC was using pretty deep in Fireco's space in Immensi. That's dead now, and they have officially been pushed back to Tenerifus. Well, I, that that depends on your perspective, Alec. If it was, if you're talking to a member of RC and AOM, then they weren't pushed back; they pulled back for a strategic pivot. If you're <laughs> if you're talking to a Fire Coalition, then they pushed the enemy back. Well, they they willingly let their staging Fortazar die because they realized that if I that mean, died, then they could do this 4D chess move. They did start unanchoring it before it was reinforced. Uh, okay. Take that as you will. That's a propaganda unanchoring. <laughs> Can confirm. All right. So what is this uh, 4D chess move that you guys are alluding to? That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, uh, focus I, on I, mean, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess to be generous, uh, if they realized that pushing into a Mency at this stage of the conflict was an overreach and that they couldn't realistically do that then pulling back slightly so they could focus what on what they could do and get that done makes a lot of sense yeah i guess um my i haven't kept super close eye on the conflict but my understanding was that in the first place this was more of like a content deployment than a like we want the space deployment and I think in that context like I'm not sure how kind of either space really fits in um kind of just from what I know of the conflict is that a lot of the groups that were ex-Provi groups, or not a lot, but some of the groups that were ex-Provi groups when they got forced out of Providence went and joined Fire Coalition. And so there's still kind of this historical bad blood between DB and RC and the groups that had, had kind of joined Fire. Um, and that that's kind of what had sparked this conflict initially was basically RC saying, like, you're not just safe because you went off and left Pravi, like we're still going to hunt you essentially. And then that's kind of turned into a greater fight that's included, like taking some Sov and some bat phones and that kind of thing. I don't yeah, think that's... RC really cares about the space. I think you're right about that. I think for RC, this is more of a strategic deployment because fire had been poking them. There are a couple groups in fire, which would love to retake parts of catch and most of Providence. And I think RC kind of understands that, you know, they don't want to tangle with Goonswarm to the, like, to their galactic west. So they have to kind of look east for content. And for fire, they don't want to necessarily look to their east because that's like NC dot Panfam and those guys. So they kind of have to look to their west. And it's kind of like they're, they're naturally positioned as enemies geographically. They're naturally positioned as enemies historically. And neither of them have better options for a fight. And I think RC is betting that they would rather be on offense against um, fire than have fire encroaching on them. So, you know, whether they're calling it for fun or not, I just think strategically they kind of decided, maybe even subconsciously, but I bet consciously, that they would rather be the aggressor here and not sit there and get poked by fire whenever they want. 
they'd rather go and take the initiative, take action and push the fight. I think, I think the, the part of this conversation that we're missing is that it, it's coming off the heels of the, the big war with Pappy versus Imperium. And so this conflict emerged when the ownership of the like impasse Tenerifis MNC area was still in flux. So when this war started, it wasn't owned by Fireco or owned by Dreadbomb or AOM or RC. It was sort of just a mess that was hotly contested by groups, some of whom looking to move in, some of whom looking for content. And Fireco are moving in partially for content, but also partially so that some of their, so that they can expand their space. I think Black Rose being like the poster child for that, where they are, they're moving into Immensi from the previous space in Scalding Pass. And in terms of like the 40 chess move, why Tenerifis is a good spot to shift your focus, I believe like I'm 99% sure it's because Dreadbomb and RC need to rely more on the support of AOM. And that could be times and related, could be manpower related. I'm not sure exactly. But if you look at the map, Immensi is positioned adjacent to Catch, adjacent to Tenerifis, and adjacent to Deathrid. Tenerifis is the other contested region in this area. We, we just mentioned it before. Detrid is definitely Firecoast space. So Immensi is in this position where AOM have to either sidestep and come through Dreadbomb space and catch in order to reach the fighting in Immensi, or they have to go through the active war zone in Tenerifis to reach Immensi. There is no like direct access adjacent to their space. Whereas Tenerifis is adjacent to Catch and Omist. So Omist is owned by AOM and they can directly access that through their home regions, similar to how Dreadbomb and RC can from the Catch direction. So in terms of access to the, the timers and the fights and having that proximity to make it easy on your members and on your fleets to maneuver, Tenerifis is a much better place to focus. And it's also a place where they've had more success in the past. I also think um, you kind of bring up AOM as one of the allies for the RCDB side. And I think that's one of the other things that's really interesting about this fight is who kind of who's landing on whose side. So, you know, if we look at kind of who's helping fire, it's been a lot of P Horde and Test kind of helping support them. Um, but what was interesting to me is, you know, historically, I think P Horde has had pretty close connections with RC and been one of their bat phones. Um, but tests specifically have kind of supported fire in the past. And if you look at it, like Alec mentioned, geographically, um, fire is kind of this buffer or sandwiched in between, um, Horde space in Geminate and, uh, RC space. So it's kind of interesting because we see Horde, who's kind of historically supported, um, RC in the past, at least when we were part of RC, um, now kind of against RC. And then Goonswarm, who um, even early in kind of the big war, RC had joined in on the kind of major coalition test horde side um, for the large conflict. But now um, Goonswarm is actually helping support um, RC and DB in some of these fights. Yeah, and then of course the, the the one that you have to mention is Fraternity, who have a will they won't they relationship in terms of this conflict, where they keep coming down. They've anchored structures in stain, and they're like hitting AOM because they hate AOM's guts, but they aren't doing it in a way that seems to be focused on having a strategic impact on the war. 
They just hate AOM. They want content. And so AOM is their content of choice. Well, they're also sort of resettling and restructuring Geminent. It'd be interesting to see once the whole Brave situation is settled out in both directions, whether or not Fraternity decides to be more aggressive here or maintains their current posture, because they would have an opportunity to get more engaged at that point. Maybe they literally wouldn't have anything else to do. But we shall see. We'll keep an eye on this conflict as it develops and continue bringing you updates here on Declarations of War. Man, it has been one year since the creation of the Pochvin region, and CCP decided to celebrate with Totality Day. It definitely feels like Pochvin's been around for longer than a year. And it's been a very long year. <laughs> it's been a long year. <laughs> it's a very eveful year with the pandemic and everything going on. Uh, but yeah, Pochvin, a pretty huge update. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have been out there expecting me to make a uh, geography and geopolitics update for Pochvin. I still haven't. The main reason for that is uh, my current internet situation effectively precludes me from updating super long, uploading, excuse me, super long videos. So that's out. Um, as soon as that changes, I would love to do another one. But um, yeah, it's just not in the cards right now. But it was a huge addition to EVE, a whole new region. Uh, it's roughly triangle shaped. And it's got some interesting characteristics. If you've never been to Pachvin, I encourage you to check it out just visually. It's a very interesting place to be. Uh, it's kind of got this dark, foreboding atmosphere, and a lot of the NPCs and mechanics match that. Um, it's inhabited mostly by Triglavian role players and people that are farming Triglavian role players, but it is an interesting area. Um, I've only been there a couple times. Each of those times has been super interesting. I know that it's a frequent favorite shortcut for people that are roaming around to like filament into Pochvin and then filament out to high sec, which is a thing you can do. It's like a cool get out of null sec free card. Um, and a very frustrating get out of wormhole and a failed eviction free card as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Double edged sword there. I don't know, Andy or um, Artemis, have either of you guys had a lot of experience in Pochman? Have you got a, have you guys fought in Pochman? I don't think I've actually fought in Pochman, but it's something that I really want to do. There's um, at least one Noir member that kind of came from Pochman space or used to live in Pochman prior um, and had some really good fights that looked really fun. Um, if you can do it, I know Rote has done some as well. Um, they have kind of a staging in Pochman and we'll hunt some of the ratters and then see if they can kind of spark fights off of that. And so I, I've seen people get some really interesting fights. It's kind of like almost like um, the type of fights you see in wormholes where you have a little bit more like RR blingy battleship type fights. Um, sometimes like small AF gangs going after kind of punching up and that kind of thing. And those kind of fights seem really fun. I just don't know enough about kind of the region, who's around, who you can fight, who's going to blob you, like all that kind of stuff to really have a good sense for um, like actually going there and just kind of roaming around. And then also, um, you know, there's one of the complications there is the rats will actually join in on things. And so you can actually have fights where if someone is aligned with the, the trig NPCs, the trig NPCs can actually basically help push the tide of the fight one way or the other. At least that's my understanding. Um, and I haven't worked to kind of grind any um, trig standings. So I think that's something that I also kind of need to do before getting in. 
Um, it's worth noting that they've kind of reduced the amount of like standings that you need to functionally use Poshman. It used to be that you couldn't dock up if you didn't have standings over X amount. Um, now I think as long as your standings are above zero, so as long as you don't have negative standings, you can dock up. Um, it but could you be, can't you couldn't use... go through the gates if you didn't. Yeah, have and you can also go through gates right now as well uh, with just zero standings, except for I think like the kind of capital regions or whatever they call it. Um, so it is much more usable. I think they maybe three months ago or so they made those changes. And so it is easier to use than it used to be. You can dock up, you can buy, um, you know, the exit filament and you can get out if you need to. Um, but there's still things that are kind of standings dependent and they haven't ground standings and it gives kind of locals an advantage, which I think is cool in a way. Um, but it makes it a little bit less approachable than kind of some of the other areas of space. Yeah, one one thing I would mention that we have glossed over so far is the ISK making potential of Potchman is pretty nuts. Um, basically, the situation is in those home regions, as I understand it, are where it's focused, but also everywhere else. There are certain sites which will spawn, and there are always three of them in Potchman. And these sites print money. We we recently had a guy on TIS who pulled a report from MER data because that's like the volume of this that's coming out is visible in the MER because it's so crazy. They are making at at max last month 281 billion isk in a day. The average is around 260 billion in a day. And you may think, well, that's not that much when you're talking about NullSec alliances, they have the order of trillions. No. Um, if you look at ratting income, if you add the top three NullSec regions in terms of their ratting income together, it's still less than the amount of money that was printed in Potchfin in the same time period. And that's hundreds, if not thousands of players all ratting in massive regions in their capitals and their marauders and their whatever versus 27 systems and a 15 member fleet. Um, it is an insane amount of ISK, but it's also an insanely dangerous space to try and do it because it's so hotly contested. You'll see battle report after battle report of like Marauder, multi-boxers dying, of Volta fighting over the the Flashpoint sites, I believe is what they're called. And so that is like a, a massive content driver in the region and why some of the larger groups are interested in living there because it is such a huge source of income. Um Beyond that, looking at just the mechanics of the space is also very strange. I think we haven't mentioned it for the listeners who maybe aren't familiar. There are no caps and there are no citadels that aren't sort of grandfathered in from when the space was previously known space. Um, you can't build new citadels. You can't build new caps. If there's anything in there, it was there before Potchfin existed. And once it dies or leaves, it's gone for good. So that's also another interesting factor that leads to these strange doctrine choices or more fun doctrine choices, depending on your perspective. It's just those limitations in the mechanics. A diversity of doctrine choices. Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of cool, too. I know, at least for a little bit, there was people selling capitals in Pochvin that were like legacy capitals in there um, and selling them for well over, you know, what their base cost was because of the fact that you can't get anything in there again. So I know, I don't know how many there are still left or who owns them, but I know, you know, there was people like selling supers in Pochman because number one, it was difficult for them to move them out. And number two, it was kind of like a novelty, like, oh, I have a super in Pochman. Nobody else can build this kind of thing. Well, not just a novelty. If you have something like that, you're 
that's like a weapon of mass destruction. Well, yeah, it gives yeah, you a big advantage if you can use it properly, right? There was a, a battle report I covered a while ago where Rope Capel just had a crap ton of sabers and a single revelation, and they caught like a 20-man or a 15-man golem fleet. Just this one revelation popped them all. <laughs> oh, man. <I> love <laughs> Beautiful. Um, so that's... I, I do want to, circling back to Totality Day and the events surrounding there, it didn't initially start out as a CCP-sponsored event. It started out by Sahara Jackal and a bunch of the other like role-play and uh, RP-focused Pochfen residents, the folks who, who fought during the invasion sort of story arc to make Pochfen exist, all wanted to celebrate it in the hopes that CCP would officially recognize it, as they have with the, with the other empires because those under a similar vein didn't initially start out as CCP-sponsored, just the role players who support the given factions did things, and CCP thought, huh, that's cool, let's support it. And so that's that's what's happened again. Uh, they posted a forum post detailing all of the various events that has been tacked on, sort of as the event drew closer, as it got more notice and more hype, more and more events were added to the to the timeline. And eventually CCP came out with not only a dev blog announcing it, but also some pretty cool like scope and other pulse videos as well, I think, about how it is and or what it is, how it works and celebrating that sort of thing, which is really cool. It is really cool. I love to see CCP, you know, kind of embracing the player story. Potchman was a great example of that as a official feature like that, that players were fighting each other for whether or not we didn't know, of course, at the time what exactly was going to happen, but we knew there would be some kind of consequence to this invasion storyline and people fighting for control of these systems. CCP went bigger and bolder with that event than they've ever done in the past as far as actually letting players impact the universe. And I, I love to see it, even if it's in small ways like, you know, holidays, putting monuments to famous battles. Those little things make a big difference. I think the uh, whole Pochman storyline, the creation of the Pochman region, the player built Stargates. I love when CCP does this stuff. It's very bold for a game to do something like that. And it's been really cool to watch. And it's got to feel absolutely amazing for the players that are involved in it. Yeah, I mean, it's a really nice recognition of kind of all the work they were doing. And the coolest thing is it's like making content for other players as well, right? It's not just for them, but it's like it makes more content for everyone. Which, speaking of, like, I didn't realize how many, just how many events there were. Like, looking through the kind of forum posts, there's a ton. There was, when I was kind of looking through or kind of listening this weekend, there were two that kind of caught my eye um, that I saw, like, BRs from. But I didn't realize that they had, like, 10 plus events so that's crazy shout yeah. out to all of the players that made totality day and Pochman in general possible all right let's move on to our host highlights oh boy <laughs> i had this uh really smart idea to take my ships that i had for the great wildlands deployment i wanted to move them all in one place and then move them all at one time to save myself a lot of time because it was a lot of small ships, a lot of frigates, a lot of cruisers, a lot of destroyers. I even found a, a, a cache of ships from our great wildlands days with uh, capitalist army. Like just a whole bunch of corp ships, which we extracted from the region but never otherwise moved. 
And so I was sitting with all these ships, like, man, this is going to take me forever to move these. So I went and I got my bowhead, which I haven't flown in literally years. And I was like, oh, I'll use the bowhead. I'll I'll be super smart and I'll use Thera's low set coals to get them all out of there. And then I'll get them in Thera and then I can use them later to deploy them wherever I want. <laughs> so uh, I scouted the bowhead into low sec through, through a Pochman hole. Or excuse me, I scouted from, from Losec into Pochman. Uh, that was through a Sanchez incursion <laughs> where I had to like double, triple check all the gate rats to make sure they wouldn't point me. And I passed through a system with 20 people in it. That was a little hair raising, but I managed to get through no problem. Then it comes time to get the ship from Thera to where I had all the ships stored. I'm like, all right, I need a scout. So I get a scout. It's a pro scout. He's very good. Everything's clear for the initial run-in, and the Thera hole is literally a jump, one jump from where I have all the ships. This is the best opportunity I'm ever going to have to do this. So I hop in, the scout scouts the hole, scouts the exit system, scouts the system with the ships. Both of them are empty. The hole is clear. Undock is clear. Uh, Undock actually had a guy on it, but we fought him and killed him. And then he came out again. We fought him and pushed him off again. And then he didn't undock anymore. So gave it a couple minutes. He wasn't undocking. I'm like, all right, let's do this. So I undock. Confirm it's still clear. I'm aligned. Confirm it's still clear. As I initiate warp, the split second that I do, Marshy, who's an FC for Bomber's Bar, just happens to land on the station decloak. I'm like, oh, no. So now Marshy has spotted me. I think he's in a retribution at the time. And I'm like, all right. Well, maybe he wasn't paying attention. He just like warped to the station. And he docked. Maybe he just didn't notice my bowhead. No, he totally noticed. He was waiting for me on the out hole. I'm like, well, shit. Well, maybe if I jump through, the hole will collapse. So I jump through. The hole doesn't collapse. He comes through. He's pointing me on the other side. Now there's more stuff coming through. There's like a revelation and stealth bombers, extra tackle. It's all starting to appear around me. I'm like, shit, shit. All right, well, I will go back to the wormhole and I'll try to jump again. And surely it will collapse because I've seen math and I know that these holes aren't very big and it should really only take two bowheads to collapse this thing, especially with all the other stuff that's just jumped through it. And maybe they won't have anything on the other side waiting for me. So I march all the way back. I'm getting webbed. It's taken forever. Most of my shields are down. And as this is going on, I am pinging furiously <laughs> for people to save me in the NAR Discord, uh, the network Discord. And uh, some some people are scrambling on. They're all over the place. No one's like hanging out in Thera just waiting for something like this to happen. But we start getting a few people together. I jump back through. The wormhole does not collapse. It's still there. All the stuff from Losec jumps through again, plus a few more things now. Now they got they got triple the number of bombers they used to. There's like three or four points on me. There's a Redeemer, which is on top of me. Uh, we've got Ten's Interceptor. He's flying around trying to point stuff and hold it down to just th- show some threat. He's got a Maul Assault trying to get any amount of damage off me he can. Finally, we get some people landing, including Kunjong, who was in a Cerberus, and he was pro, man. Started killing bombers. Would not have escaped without him. Major shout out to Kun. (laughs) 
And I'm like watching my hit points drop. There goes my armor. Started getting into the structure. And when they hit the structure, it, it was like hitting a brick wall. They were getting through it very slowly. And I'm inching my way back to the wormhole. Still webbed, painted, the whole nine yards. And I'm looking at my uh, timer because, of course, I'm polarized now. But I figured by the time I get back to jump range, the polarization will be almost done. And sure enough, it was. And as I'm in 23% structure, I managed to crawl back to jump range. I jump again. The hole does collapse. And there is no one that came through with me. <laughs> so, so they're all standing there. This like 15, 20-man bombers bar fleet is kind of hanging out now. Uh, and we have more and more network people coming on. We're trying to tackle whatever we can. We almost get the Redeemer and gets off. I think we came away with like a covert op ship and three bomber kills for no losses. My, my ship in 23% structure, but did manage to get to its destination. Except now I don't think I'm going to move it again. <laughs> Holy shit. That was super scary. Yeah, I think I, I hopped on comms right as you were like, I'm warping off. And I was like, oh, I missed all the action. Like, I was like, instantly like, oh, good, you got off. But I was like, dang it, <laughs> like missed it. I, friendly like, freighter tackled, friendly freighter tackled, log on, log on. Yeah, I like hopped on. I saw it on my phone. And for whatever reason, like Discord pings are a little bit delayed on my phone. So I saw it like late. I was like, oh, shit. Got there, undocked in like an interceptor as 10 was getting like pushed off one of the, I think he had the Redeemer tackled and it started to MJD and that's how it got out. And I was like, oh, dang it. I was like coming with secondary tackle. I was in warp when he MJD. I was like, dang it. Yeah, it was uh, exciting to hear after the fact, hear everything that went down. And afterwards, I look in Bomber's Far after someone mentioned that they were pinging about a tackled bowhead. And I look and I see the pings. I'm like, Marsha, you betrayed me. <laughs> like, oh, that was you? Like, yeah, it's my main. Oh, literally has my name on it. <laughs> uh, so we had a we had a good laugh about that. Andy? Yeah, so my highlight is a little uh less dramatic, but I still had fun. So um yesterday night there was uh just a Spectre fleet um that went out, like public roam that went out. And I was like free, I wasn't doing anything, so I was like, yeah, let's let's jump in it. So they needed a dictor pilot. Um, I could fly a dictor, so I was like, yeah, sure, it'll give me something to do that's kind of um, you know, not just like mainline. And so the way these uh this FC runs it is he does um like ham caracals, ham drakes, and then tries to force fights on the ESS with some newts um to kind of bait marauders and like bigger battleships into to fighting and then getting nuded out and dying um and so the idea being that you can stay outside of the ess and then you can still use mwd ships you can still use smaller ships for you know bubbles and all that kind of thing and so we just kind of went out and that's basically exactly what happened um the sky there's this kind of well-known marauder pilot that always has a fact all on standby and so we had this really good plan there was two of us dictors and one was kind of sitting on the gate where this guy was going to bring his facts through. And then I was sitting on the ESS where this Farger was going to come in. Um, and so this Farger warps in, we bubble him. The guy, you know, calls out that the facts is coming. The, the guy that's on that gate bubbles, but he bubbles kind of off center and actually misses the, the Minakawa that was going to come in. So we're like, ah, shit. So the idea was kind of pin the, the facts down and then just murder this marauder. And then we could go to the gate and kill this Minakawa as well. But Minakawa gets in. So now we have marauder and, uh, facts on grid, you know, um, fighting us. And so 
we're like, well, maybe we can hold. We had some Ospreys, so like T1 Logi. So we're, we end up holding okay. And basically, it's just slowly grinding down this Fax and this Marauder. And what's interesting about it is, you know, the Fax, since they made the changes with the cap boosters, it really has like a finite amount of cap that it can really get. So we had Newt's on grid and just slowly started grinding down the cap on the Minnow. Um, and then the Marauder was tanking well, but basically couldn't get reps in Bastion. So he was basically swapping between being in Bastion and doing high DPS to try to break things and swapping off so that he could get reps from the facts. And so it was this really kind of interesting fight where we'd like slowly grind the Marauder down. He'd start to break, then he'd leave Bastion, get reps from the facts, but then the facts cap would go down. And so we slowly, slowly, slowly got it to where we finally essentially, um, capped him out so that his multi-specs were gone and then we're able to burn through fax reps or kill him before his uh, bastion ended i'm not exactly sure how it worked um but we ended up getting this marauder kill that was super super blingy like seven bill um and then we had this fax that was just pinned and we're able to like slowly grind down its cap and kill it as well so we got a fax kill a marauder kill and this guy's really blingy um marauder pod um so that was like a cool way to start then we were like, well, it's going well. Why not keep going? So um, we kept, you know, we dropped off loot, kept going and went to frat staging system and then basically started just kind of provoking fights. So we bubbled by their jump bridge. We like caught a couple ratters that were just like ratting while we were sitting on the ESS um, and caught, you know, a few other things. I felt pretty proud. I got like a very nice bubble in line with their jump bridge and they had um, a Munin that tried to warp to their giant bridge, got caught by this um, pole bubble, and then we just murdered him. Um, so we did that for a while. They kind of refused to engage us. And then they actually ended up logging on a Titan, bridging a bunch of Munins out of the system, and then putting a covert Sino or, you know, a covert ops ship like an Arazu on top of us, and then lighting a hard Sino so that they could bring in the Munin fleet on top of us to finally get rid of us. And so, you know, we kind of saw what was happening. Like we could see their, their keep star and knew that they were going to do this. Um, but we kind of wanted to go out in a ball of glory. We'd been waiting like an hour for a fight in their staging system. Um, so we ended up catching a couple cool things. We had a good brawl at the end, even though we got murdered by like a hundred Munins. Um, but it was still, it was like a fun night. It was good content. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Y'all are like blowing up spaceships and I'm just playing with spreadsheets. <laughs> I uh, got some reactions up and running. Initially, I was going to do it with some moon goo, but I eventually decided to use uh, wormhole gas. Figured out how to pull data from the Eve Marketer API to to check sort of in the moment what is the most valuable reaction to do. Should I sell this gas or should I react it into its next step? And that was like, I was proud of myself for that. <laughs> Do you miss it, Artemis? I mean, I do, but I also realized that most of these fights, I would have just been sitting there at work, seeing the pings go through on my Discord and be like, man, I wish I was home. I mean, that's fair. Yeah, they're all, they're usually off time for you. Yep. Yeah, I could see how that'd be frustrating. We do miss you, though. Who knows? You could have been the guy that tackled that Redeemer. <laughs> could have been you were the one that we were missing you could have whipped your uh, three man five man Lashak ball onto it uh, and just started dunking him you know that could have been you yep. 
Or I could have also been the guy getting shouted at by Alec because I warped the five-man Lashak ball in and got nuked by all the bombers. (laughs) (laughs) Also true. All right, let me give some shout-outs. I want to give a shout-out to our Golden Elite supporters, Mark Havoc and Kestrel Swainson, as well as brand-new Golden Elites, Acer Card and Krav. Welcome aboard, guys. Andy? Yeah, my shout-out goes to Leo, uh, who is on our AT team. He was actually traveling this week, um, but when practice came, he was an absolute trooper. He, like, kind of checked out of his hotel or whatever, only had, like, an hour left with internet there, and he's like, I'm going to log in for an hour, do some scrims with you guys, and then I'm going to go find, like, a coffee shop. And so he actually got a couple rounds in, um, couldn't find, like, a coffee shop that was going to be open that early, so he like logged in from his hotel room, logged out of his hotel room, left, ran to a coffee shop that was finally open, went to like, I think two or three or something. He like tried multiple, um, finally found one that worked where he could like plug in his laptop and then log back in for another couple rounds. Um, so he just like, you know, put like 110% effort into like being in practice and, um, you know, showing up, which was really, really nice because we were short, on people is just apparently like a bad, bad weekend or something. So we were, we're kind of short people. So we needed every person we could get. And he just tried harder to get to practice than any other person I know. So shout out to him. What a legend, man. I'm just imagining, cause I have no idea who Leo is. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm imagining that he's like, you know, the, the video of that crazy, I don't even know if he's Russian, but the dude who's like, rapier is primary, rapier is primary. Allah. Like, I'm imagining him just in a random Starbucks somewhere, but doing that because he's on comms for AT practice. Oh, man. It reminds me of uh, Casper. So Casper, who was in Gorenclad or, um, I guess, in Hydra Vydra um, now for AT. Uh, he has a story about him logging in from, like, a, a coffee shop and a bomb going out during, like, a bomber you know launching a bomb during like one of their at practices or matches or whatever and i'm saying like yelling like on his headset bomb out bomb out in the middle of like a starbucks and then realizing (laughs) what he had just said out loud and just like oh people are probably looking at me like i'm crazy yeah (laughs) so one of my one of my favorite stories like just hearing that and i can only imagine like what it sounds like to the people around yeah, think about all like the weird video game stuff. Like if you're playing CS, where there's a terrorist team. <laughs> you know, I've been playing a lot of Super Auto Pets recently, and it's very weird to have an internal monologue about: Do I want a Dodo Bird or a Blue Jay on my squad? You ever play Wingspan, Artemis? Never heard of it. Oh, it's a bird-based board game. I've right never now. heard of either of these. Well, I mean, Super Auto Pets is in beta, and it's free to play, by the way, on Steam. I found it pairs very nicely with, like, AFK ratting or mining or gas huffing because it's just sort of build your team, and then they it's an auto-battler, so they go in and they follow rules to fight, and you see which team is better. And then you go back to your shop and you build your team again. So it's very much something that's just a pause, play, it is strategic and tactical and fun when you're building and then you see how it works out against other people so i enjoy it it's definitely not for everyone though (laughs) i've enjoyed games like that they they tend to get old for me after a bit but every once in a while i get the bug and i want to try one out so anyway my shout out is not to super auto pets it is to the network merch my my t-shirt and my sticker arrived i was slightly concerned about the the small little 
man, you told me what kind of lizard he was. What kind of lizard is he? Bearded dragon. Bearded dragon. A small little bearded dragon, which is like the centerpiece. It's the reason that this the, the merch was so freaking cool. And I was worried that it was going to be too small or the printing wouldn't come out right, but it just, it came out flawlessly. So from a distance, you just see like the network, but then you get a little closer and you see, hang on, what's that? And then you get uncomfortably <laughs> close. It's like, oh, that's a bearded dragon. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I picked up the three-quarter sleeve with the, the network printed out with the little dragon and the O. Looks great. I was also concerned that the font might be too small. After I got it, I wasn't. It looks great. And I tried playing around with the font size and making it a little bit bigger, and it just doesn't have the same vibe. Yep. Uh, yeah, but uh, really good on the merch stuff. I just saw with a mouse pad for the first time. Somebody ordered a network logo mouse pad. Looks fantastic. So happy with that. And if anyone's going to Vegas, I will have a handful of network masks for free as swag. So catch me early <laughs> before they're gone. You going to Vegas this year, Alec? I am going to Vegas. Right on. Yeah, if anyone's out there, let stories. me know. There's, there's going to be a couple of our guys going. I think there's going to be three or four of us. Vegas this year isn't CCP-sponsored, right? It's back to the old uh, Goonswarm thing? Uh, basically, but CCP at the last minute did decide to send some devs. Oh, right on. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's uh, Dopamine is going to be there. Oh, nice. Yeah, that'll be fun. It was announced in the Discord, and the location of the Discord is now escaping me as I scroll down my list of way too many servers that I'm on. Same. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah, so Dopamine will be there, CCP Aurora, CCP Nocturne, and CCP Ice Cream. One of the GMs. So That's awesome. Fun. But yeah, for the most part, it is going to be very player-driven in terms of content. Um, let's see. They just put out the agenda. Thursday, 9 to 2, karaoke. Fortunately, I will not be there for that, even though karaoke is my favorite. But shout-outs to Rain Chocolate, who will be hosting that event. Friday at 1, there's going to be some kind of interactive art installation that everybody's going to. From 8 p.m. till who knows, there's going to be a pub crawl. At 11, I think a group is going to head to the Marshmallow Nightclub. That should be interesting. Uh, Saturday at noon, Dune, hosted by Carneros. That is currently sold out. Fortunately, I missed that one. Um, 3 to 5, going to be hanging out at the Pinball Hall of Fame. At midnight, I am hosting an Are You a Werewolf game. And then Sunday at noon, there's going to be a group viewing of the Eagles vs. Raiders football game at the Stadium Swim, which I am also hosting. So it should be a pretty packed, pretty fun event. There's going to be a lot going on that's not officially on the agenda. You've got to be in the Discord getting the pings to figure out what's going on where and with who. So it's going to be very informal, very social. I think a lot of people are just happy to be seeing each other at all this year, and they didn't want to make a big deal of like, a lot of structure when people haven't seen each other for multiple years and they just want to hang out. So that's how it's going to be. It's going to be very loose, very informal. Should be a lot of fun though. And with that, that's the episode. Head to declarationsofwar.com to participate in this show's poll. Head to youtube.com slash C slash Alexa to leave a comment on the show highlight. 
Now, our recruitment is paused, but if you still want to hang out with us, you are more than welcome. You can hang out at Cafe Noir Dot, our in-game channel, or hang out on our Discord, which is linked in the Cafe Noir channel. And uh, if you're a corp director who is interested in your corp joining the network, I am very interested in picking up corps over the course of the next two to three months. And with that, that's it. Whoever you are, wherever you are, and whoever you're flying with, and even if you're, you know, pulling for Casper to beat us in the Alliance tournament, that's all right. (laughs) Good hunting.